This Saturday uh, is our adoption week. It's the week that we have agreed as a church to, to provide the, uh, the uh, presence there and the prayer points. And so I'm hoping all that stood can be a part of that. And if you've never been with, to one, I hope you'll come and be a part of that. We will be doing it in Chapel Hill. On the foyer outside on the Welcome Center, there is some paperwork. There's, you can see one of these. If, you'd like to, if you're not familiar with the Love Life ministry, you can pick up one of these. Uh, it'll tell you about it. Basically, we have, prayer, we have church service within eyeshot of an abortion clinic. We don't hold signs. We don't scream and holler at people. We don't do that. We simply pray. And there's been a lot of uh, fruit that's come out of that. A lot of people who've chosen to keep their child. And then they're, they're partnered with the church. We also partner with pregnancy support services who also provide support for young ladies who find themselves in a crisis pregnancy and decide to keep their child. So you can pick up one of these. There's also one of these out there if you'd like some more information about it or if you'd like to get their email updates. You can pick up one of these from the Welcome Center as well, fill it out and leave it at the Welcome Center and we will take that and we, will, we can get it plugged in so, to them so that you can get email updates. Also, you may have gotten an email this week from the church about the heartbeat bill that is before the legislature. It came out from the North Carolina uh, Values Coalition, encouraging believers to contact their legislators. Uh, if you want to open that email, if you go back in and see it, it came from Bethel. It would have come from Sister Teresa, and the information's in there. I think we, we fight in the spiritual first, but we also, as believers, make our voice heard out in the natural. It's important. Everybody else feels comfortable making their voice heard, but it seems like sometimes we, we tend to shrink back, and now is not the time to shrink back. Also, uh, you, we have partnered with the police department and Station 2. Uh, this, this church sits within uh, Station 2 or District 2. The substation sits at Roxborough and Latta. And they recognize one officer a month for doing something a little extraordinary. And what we've done, we've partnered with them and we provide a, we send a card out to that officer and we have a gift card in there to Chick-fil-A uh, for them. And so this, this month's officer of the month was Officer Shana Gam. And this came from her captain. She said that on January 15th, 2023, Officer Gam responded to a missing persons call. The reporting party was concerned as he had not heard from his elderly father in several days. During Officer Gam's investigation, she discovered that the father told an acquaintance he was going camping. She found this odd being that it was in the middle of winter. Officer Gam learned that the father drove a new Ford F-150. She made contact with Ford to see if there was a GPS on the truck. Ford was able to track the father to an address in Florida. Officer Gam reached out to the local law enforcement agency in Florida and asked them to conduct a welfare check. The father was located safe and unharmed. Officer Gam's actions this day gave the family relief and their loved one has been found. So we want to highlight, we want to thank our police for what they do for us. I know there's been some terrible incidents uh, portrayed in the media lately, but I will tell you day in and day out, they do a very, very good job. And so we appreciate what they do here and we will be blessing them in that. Lastly, Wednesday night, we will finish up with the uh, first season of The Chosen. Uh, this this uh, coming Wednesday night will be our last night. Coming and being a part of that, it's been a wonderful time to watch the Gospels portrayed on, on the screen. Uh, this, this past Wednesday, I, I have a, I have a, I've sensed a correlation between we ha when we have food and the number of people who come. I don't know about you all, but I, it just seemed like every time we have food, there's just a lot of people there. Now, I say that in jest, but this Wednesday we had like 63 people there, and it was good to have you there. It's good to break up and talk 
and get to know each other. And, and then we had some great questions, some great discussions around what we saw in Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus. And so we're going to finish that up this Wednesday night. And the, the, the next few Wednesday nights, Pastor Don is going to start a, a study he's been working on on the 23rd Psalm. And when he finishes that, then we're going to study one of the Gospels. We're going to study the Gospel of Mark. And we have a study guide to go along with that. We're going to keep the same format that we've had. We think it's good for people to discuss. Believe it or not, I don't know everything, and none of us know everything. And so it's nice to sit down. We're doing it generationally. We have some of our younger folks. How many of you know we can learn some things from our younger folks? And so we, we are going to study God's Word together, the book of Mark. If you would like a book, we want everyone to have a book. So this Wednesday night, if you would like, when you come, uh, if you want to write a check, the books are $7. If you want to write a check for a little extra, we would like to have everyone have a book that would, that would want a book. Let's come and study God. We've watched it on the screen. Now let's come and study God's Word together. Amen? So that'll be, uh, that'll be starting 1st of April, I believe it is. So a couple weeks ago, we started a series in the book of Genesis titled In the Beginning. And a couple weeks ago, we dealt with the creation account out of Genesis 1 and 2. And we saw from the creation account, as Paul wrote to the church at Rome, that God's invisible qualities are seen in his creation. The invisible qualities are that he's a God of order, he's a God of power, and he's a God of goodness. And at the end of Genesis 1 and all through 2, we also saw that God is relational. He created mankind. He created us to have relationship with him. But he didn't stop there. God said it's not good for man to be alone, so he created a woman that they could have relationship with each other. So we see in this relationship with God that his priorities are that we have a relationship with him and a relationship with each other. But God also created this beautiful place for man to live, this Garden of Eden as it's known, of, known as. But God gave him one command, gave him one command. And that's where we'll move into when we get today as we look at the scriptures for today. And I told you I had read a book recently that I found very interesting that defined the kingdom of God. And if I ask you, what is the kingdom of God? We would get a lot of responses to that. It's a broad topic. But it, it defined the kingdom of God as God's people living in God's place, under God's rule, enjoying God's blessing. And we see at the creation that theme starting. God's people, Adam and Eve, in God's place, He created a garden for them. Under God's rule. That's where we break. That's where society breaks. I'm not willing to be under God's rule, enjoying God's blessing. And so that does bring us to Genesis 3. And I, I sent out an email asking you all to read that. I hope you were able to read that so that maybe you have some thoughts about this. Maybe after the service today, you might come up and have some questions for me or tell me something I didn't know. I don't know. But I do know this. If there's any one question in, that the world has today, that often they'll throw out as us as believers, it is the question of suffering. If your God is so good and your God is so powerful, then why all the suffering? Why the sickness? Why earthquakes in Turkey where 50,000, I think last I heard maybe 100,000 people are dead? Why child abuse? Why violence? Why murder? Why all the things we see? If your God is so good and he is, your God is so powerful, why these things? And the answer, church, is found in Genesis 3. 
And so if someone comes up and asks you that question, I tell you to take them to the Word of God and say, go read Genesis 3. Because when it becomes about anything other than that, Satan will get in your ear and he'll begin to say things to you as he did Eve and we'll see momentarily. And you'll begin to question God. He'll begin to say things to you like this, you know, you must have been bad. You must have been bad. What have you done so bad that God has done this to you? He don't love you. I have someone I care dearly about that's been going through a lot of suffering. I have a couple people, as a matter of fact. And that statement has been made. I don't know why this is happening to me. And I quickly say, I do. Genesis 3. That's why this is happening. Because if you let ourselves get out there into something else, Satan will take us somewhere we don't want to go. And ultimately, he'll tell you this. You know you're not good enough. you never be good enough. And you know what? He don't love you. And you know what? You ain't going, his salvation, he's not going to save you. When you die, you're going to spend eternity in hell. Am I the only one he's ever said that to? He will say that to you. And you start to question God's goodness. The answer to all the suffering is right here in Genesis 3. God did not cause the suffering. God did not cause the pain but he uses it. He can use suffering and he can use pain. So there's four thoughts, things and four thoughts I have about suffering. You can write these down on your paper if you'd like. I could preach a whole message on this, but I just want to mention these four things. First, suffering, it's the common condition. It is the common condition. Jesus said he makes the sun, speaking of God, rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. We are not immune from suffering. Next, he uses it to draw people to himself. The psalmist said this, When I was afflicted, I kept your law. That's the story of my family a little bit. My mother was diagnosed with breast cancer as a very young woman. My mom and dad were not serving the Lord. A Church of God preacher came to visit and pray with my parents. They rededicated their life to the Lord. And that's where my testimony lies there. They use sickness and suffering. Sometimes affliction does that. Sometimes God uses that to draw people back to himself or to himself. He uses suffering so that we can have compassion on others in similar situations. Maybe you're suffering with something this morning. God can use you and your suffering to minister to someone. Maybe to someone who's lost. Maybe to someone who doesn't know the Lord. He can use that and your compassion for them. And then lastly, he uses suffering for his glory in how we suffer. I don't think there's any more of a testimony to someone who has their full trust in God than when they suffer, they're sick, things aren't going well in life, but they stay true. You see them in church, you see them still seeking after God. Time after time after time, it's not uncommon for people to run into church looking for something for God when life has gone bad. They're looking for just an answer to their problem. They're not really seeking God. And we oftentimes, and you oftentimes, and many of you I have seen, that you have faith in God, even when things are not going well. And he would use that at times for his glory and healing. Yes, God still heals. Not as much as I'd like to see at church. I wish he'd heal everybody. My heart's been heavy this week with some of the things that I know is going on with some of the people in our church. And I'm praying, God, I want, I want to see everybody healed. And that's why we pray for healing. We're going to pray for healing today at the end of this service because we believe that he does that. But we trust him and his sovereignty. One of my favorite stories in the Bible comes out of John 9 where 
There's a blind man. And, and the religious know-it-alls of that day are much like people today, and they look at Jesus and they say, who sinned that this man is blind? And that's where we get. Somebody, what I do, God? What, what have I done that, that I'm blind or someone's blind? They must have done something. And Jesus said, nope. He's blind that the glory of God may be revealed. And he healed that man. And so suffering, suffering, which leads us to Genesis 3. If you have your Bibles, I don't typically do this, but I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's only 24 verses. So if you'll bear with me, if you have your phones or your Bibles, if you want to open up with me to Genesis 3, and we'll read it, and then we'll take a look at it together. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig, tree, fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from, from his presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman whom you gave to to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. But thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put, on, put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent them out of the garden of Eden 
to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you're a good God. We thank you there's an answer to the suffering and to the evil of the world, and you've provided it. And so Lord, I pray, Lord, as we, as we look at your word and what's happened here, God, that not only we see the bad, we see the hope. There's always hope in you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I found this, I found this interesting. It said, if the, if the fall of man were to have occurred in our times, one can hardly conceive of the consequences. I would imagine that the American Civil Liberties Union would immediately file suit against God and in defense of Eve and her husband, Adam. The suit would probably be pressed on the grounds of an illegal eviction. And after all, we, we would be told this alleged sinful act was performed in the privacy of the garden between two consenting adults. But most of all, we would be told that the crime, if indeed there was one, and the punishment were totally out of proportion. Could God really be serious in what this account claims to report? Because of a mere bite of some forbidden fruit, the man and a woman are evicted and will suffer a lifetime of consequence? And more than this, that due to this one act, the whole world and all mankind will continue to suffer the evils about us. And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. That one act, we all pay for that, and we've been paying for that since then. What I want to do is I want to look at Genesis 3, and I want to look at four areas in it. I want to look at the enemy, the tactics, the result, and the redemption. The enemy, the tactics, the result, and the redemption. Let's first, let's look at an enemy. Church, there is an enemy of your soul. We are in a spiritual battle. Always have been since this. And I don't think most believers, particularly most Western believers, recognize it. That there is indeed an enemy of our soul. Genesis 1, the Bible says, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. The enemy has a name. He's commonly referred to, if you look at Revelations 12, 9, it tells us many of the names that throughout Scripture that refers to him as. Revelation 12, 9 says, so the great dragon was cast out. The serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast with him. So we see he's often sometimes referred to as the serpent, as devil, or as Satan. The Hebrew word for Satan means adversary. We have an adversary. But unfortunately, I think the church today runs between two extremes. We run between the extreme that we don't even believe in him anymore. George Barna in a 2009 study said that 40% of people who identify themselves as evangelical Christians do not believe in a literal Satan. They believe that he is a symbol of some type of evil. There is a literal Satan. And Jesus mentioned him when he said, He come but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. We will never guard ourselves, we will never prepare ourselves to fight an enemy that we do not believe exists. And then there's the other extreme. There's a devil under every bush. There's a devil around every corner. We blame the devil for everything when we have our responsibilities and things. The Bible says a couple things about him. We see one, that he's a created being, and we see that he was a created angel. Many commentators believe he may have been an archangel. There's two archangels mentioned in the Bible, Michael and Gabriel. Many believe that Satan was. The prophet Ezekiel said this about him. 
He said, you were in Eden. So we see him there in Eden. The garden of God, every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes were prepared for you on the day you were created. He is a created being. Nothing divine about him. And then he says, you were an anointed cherub. You were an anointed angel, a created angel who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. Some believe, because it says the workmanship of your trembles and pipes, some believe that Satan may have actually been involved in the worship of heaven. And if you talk to most praise and worship leaders, I don't know if Matt would agree with this or Michael or Lowe's, they say, you know, I can believe that because if Satan gets into anything, to get into music. Right, Danny? I don't know. But many believe he may have actually been in charge of the worship in heaven. But he failed. He failed. He was cast out of heaven. Jesus himself said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. What, what did he fall for? What did he do? He did the very thing that causes problems today for us and for everyone else. Pride. The Bible says pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. But Satan decided he was going to set himself up against the Most High. Isaiah said, If you have said in your heart, I will sit, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the throne of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. Pride cast Satan out of heaven. And several went with him. And ever since then, we're in a spiritual battle. There is a forces of darkness. And his goal from the time of the Garden of Eden to now has been to stop the plans and the people of God. But he's been defeated. He's failed. And we'll see as we go through. So first, that's the enemy. Next, let's look at the tactics. You know, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. And Satan's tactics, there's nothing new. He just recycles them. He just uses the same things over and over. And the first tactic, which is still the main one he uses today, is to attack the Word of God. He looked at Eve and he said, did God really say? Did God really say? And he's using that same tactic today. If this Word said it, then God really said it. And we have entire, unfortunately, we have entire denominations today that are splitting because they're saying, no, in some things God really didn't say. He didn't really say what he said about human sexuality. He didn't really say what he said about life. He did say. And Satan is still tacking God's word. Did God really say? Next, he attacks the authority of God. You will not surely die. God had told him, said, look, on the day you eat of this, you will die. Satan gets in, in Eve's ear. He says, no, you won't die. And he still does that. He'll get in your ear. And you know, the first thing you do is don't have a conversation with him. That's where she messed up to begin with. The Bible says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. What's first? Resisting? No, submitting. How do we submit ourselves to God? We submit ourselves to his word. We submit ourselves in devotion to him. We submit ourselves to, to, our, to our church family, to being around our church family, to fellowship, to being with people who will hold us accountable. That's how we submit ourselves to God. Then we find it a lot easier to resist the devil, but he's still going to keep trying. You won't die. 
You won't get caught. This is what he says today. You won't get caught. Nobody will know. You're the only one who knows. It won't have any consequence. Church, sin always has its consequence. It always has its consequence. Now, you might stay in it. You might get away with it for a while. You may hide it from everybody. But if you stay in a lifestyle of unrepentant sin, it's going to have its consequence. It did then, and it does now. And then next, he attacks the goodness of God. He says to Eve, he says, you'll be like God. That's why he don't want you to eat it, Eve, because he knows in the day that you eat of this apple, you'll be like God. You'll be like him. You know what he did? He did what he still does today. God had placed him in this beautiful place, had all these things. The Bible says everything in there was good to eat. They could enjoy everything in that garden except one thing. And Satan got his, her eyes off all the good things and got her focused on the one thing. He did what still does today. God is the cosmic killjoy. You can't serve God and have any fun. Well, I'm here to tell you you can. And you have a lot of fun that don't come with a lot of the heartache that a lot of the world tells you things that are fun, but they won't tell you the heartache and the carnage that's behind it. He got her to get her eyes off all the good things that God had for her in that garden and got her focused on the one thing. And then he got her to say something that he didn't even say. God had never said they couldn't touch the fruit in Genesis 2. But here Eve says to Satan, he said we can't even touch it. Now why you'd want to touch it, I don't know. But it begins to add to God's word. So he has Eve all messed up. He's done questioned the word of God, the authority of the God, and the goodness of God. And so what we see is the tactic that he used then is the same tactic he uses now. This is confirmed in 1 John. 1 John says the same thing about sin. He uses three things. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. It starts right here. It starts with the eyes. She saw it. She saw that the food was good. So then she said, and it's good for me. It'll satisfy me. It's good for my flesh. And then I'll be like God. Look at me. Look how smart I am. Look how successful I am. Look at all these things. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And if you look back where he gets us, where we fall sometimes, you see where people fall, you can tie it typically to one of these things. And we have to take authority over it and we have to take every thought captive. I thought about King David when I read this. Where did it start with King David? He went up on a castle. David had it all. He was king. He was wealthy. He, man, he had everything. God had given him all these good things. But he goes up on his castle and he looks across the way and there's Bathsheba, a beautiful woman. He's got plenty of beautiful women. And if you know the rest of that story, it went real bad from there. Rather than David saying, I better get off this roof now. He stayed up there. And it caused a lot of problems. And it happens to us. What we see here is that Adam and Eve had a choice. So right here in Genesis 3, we start to see this balance between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. God didn't make us little robots. He didn't make us robots. Sometimes I wish he did, but he doesn't. He gives us a free will. How that balances, I'm not 100% sure. You can listen to theologians that are a lot smarter than I am that debate that. But there is a balance between God's sovereignty 
and man's responsibility. In studying this, there was two trees in that garden. There was a tree of life and there was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life represented obedience. They could eat from that and live forever. I'm willing to submit my God, to God, be obedient to God. And then there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It represented self-rule. And ultimately, that's what all this boils down to. Self-rule. I don't want to be controlled by nobody or nothing, especially that God that you serve. And there used to be a time when it was just sin and people recognized it was sin, but not today. People are in straight rebellion. You bring up anything about God and righteous living, not only do they say, well, I disagree with you, they get angry and they hate you. We're transitioning into a different time. Adam and Eve have a choice. And it was also the first temptation. The first temptation. I said before that oftentimes we blame things on Satan that's not Satan's, all Satan's doings. James 1, 13 through 15 explains the cycle of temptation. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by Satan's desires. Is he drawn away by Satan? He's drawn away by his own desires. But God knows where we're weak. But you have to recognize where you're weak. And it's ticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. When sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. It starts there. It starts there. When he gets in our ear, gets, we see the, the look with our eyes, we better have some things in place because then we get drawn away. And if you stay in that sin, if you stay in that unrepentant sin, you don't recognize it, you don't repent, sin ultimately gives rise to death. The first temptation. So we see the enemy, we see the tactics. Now let's take a look at the result. The first result and the first consequence of sin was hiding from God. Adam and Eve, after they had sinned, they knew they had sinned, they knew something had changed. The Bible said they ran and hid themselves. They hid behind a tree. Can you imagine trying to hide from God? And he comes walking through, the Bible says, through the, you know, through the, through the garden, through the cool of the day. And he asked a question. Last week, or, or last time, we talked about the questions of Job and how we all have questions and questions are okay. Sometimes God asks questions. And God asked Adam a question. This is the first question God asked. It wasn't a natural question. God knew where he was. He knows everything. This was a question. This was a spiritual question that reverberates through history. This is a question that sits right here this morning at 3518 Rosa Sharon Road in Durham. He asked Adam, he said, Adam, where are you? Where are you this morning? See, he knew something had changed between his relationship and Adam's. He knew. Where are you this morning? God still asks that question. Don't hide from God. One thing that I find comforting about this is we see right here the mercy of God. That He is a seeking God. I'm afraid it took me a long time, a while, to get the right picture and the right understanding of the natures and the attributes of God and His mercy. There would have been a time that I would have said, okay, as soon as this happens, as soon as I sin, as soon as I mess it up, God's waiting up there with His cosmic hammer and He can't wait for me to do it so He can hit me and send me to hell. We see right here that's not the nature of God. He asked Adam, where are you, Adam? He came seeking for Him. 
He didn't come in and say, I knew you would mess it up. You are out of here. I'm destroying you and starting over. He didn't do that. He asked Adam, he said, where are you? But Adam was hiding. Don't hide your sin from God. This is what happens. The psalmist in Psalm 32, 3 through 5, when he speaks of his sin, says, when I kept silent, my bones grew old. Through my groaning all the day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. If you're carrying unrepentant sin, if there's things going on in your life, you ever been there where you feel the heavy conviction of God? You feel it. It's heavy. My vitality was turned into drought of summer. Selah. But I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden, I said. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. God stands ready to forgive us. If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you've not done that this morning, we want you to. He's a seeking God. He's a merciful God. I won't read Revelation 6, 15 through 17 in the interest of time, but that's an amazing story to me. God's wrath is being poured out at the tribulation. It says wise men, mighty men, soldiers, commanders. You would think they would repent with God's wrath being poured out. But you know what it says? It says they went and hid themselves in caves and said, hide us from him who sits on the throne. There comes a point that man's heart gets so hard. And I'm afraid that's what we're seeing here in our nation. It gets so hard they're not even open to the mercies and the repentance of God. And once we soften our hearts and open our hearts and be like the publican and beat our chest and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He is going to have mercy on you, a sinner. And Jesus said he went away justified. He's a seeking God. Don't hide from him. The sin resulted in shame. The next question. He asked uh, Adam and Eve, he said, who told you you were naked? Yes, prior to the fall, Adam and Eve were buck naked in the garden. They were. But they knew no shame in it. There was, no, there was nothing, nothing uh, shameful connected with that. If that was the way we were sitting in this church this morning, it'd be a lot of shame. But it wasn't shameful then. But the moment that sin entered, it was shame in it. And sin always brings shame. The Bible says Jesus forgave us of our sin on that cross, but guess what else He took? He took our shame. He took the shame of your sin to that cross because shame entered at the fall. The sin resulted in the blame game. And boy, if we still can't play that today, I don't know what we can do. If there's any one thing that drives me nuts in our culture today, it's always someone else's fault. It was my upbringing's fault. It's this person's fault. It's that person's fault. It's time for us to take responsibility, both in the natural but certainly in the spiritual. And quit blaming other people all the time for everything. It's incredible. God asked, he asked uh, Adam about it. You know, he said, that woman, me and we blame the women all the time, that woman, but he didn't stop there, that you gave me. So he blamed, he, then he blamed God. And a lot of people today blame God. And God didn't have nothing to do with it. Because here's the thing about sin, church. Make no doubt about it. I read this and I find it to be very true. Satan does tempt us and, and, and then things happen. But when you make that decision to sin, it passes right through your will. We like that, that, that uh, scripture that says, with every temptation, God will make a way out. And we think that we're going to get in things and we're going to mess around things and we're going to linger around that computer and we're going to linger around that phone and then we're just going to wait for God to come in and do something real spooky and change it. 
you got responsibility in it. We have responsibilities in that. And we have to take responsibility for some things. But they didn't want to take responsibility. Adam blamed Eve. He blamed God. And then he goes to uh, Eve and she says, well, the serpent, the serpent deceived me. Nobody, nobody ever stood up and said, God, we've sinned before you. And that's what David did in his repentance. David said, God, before you and you alone have I sinned. And if you sin before God, you get real with Him and, and become humble before God and say, God, before you and you alone have I sinned. He is willing, ready to sweep in and forgive you of your sin. But not as long as we hide it and not as long as we don't confess it and not as long as we blame someone else because there's plenty of blame to go around. The sin resulted in a direct curse on the serpent and on the ground. Notice it was not a direct curse on Adam and Eve. God had blessed them when he created them in the garden. But he didn't curse them. He cursed the serpent. He cursed the ground. But he didn't curse them. But there was consequence. Like I said, there's always consequences to our sin. And we see what those are. With Eve... He said, there's going to be pain in childbirth and desire for your husband, and he'll rule over you. So I'm assuming before the fall, ladies, you could have just popped out babies. There wouldn't have been all the things that you go through. But it's part of the fall. There was going to be uh, pain in the childbirth. And it says, and the desire for your husband, and he'll rule over you. There's some different commentators on that. But one, and I think it was Dr. Hayford said this, that relationship between Adam and Eve was perfectly harmonious. There was no struggle. There was no desire to be first. You know, when we, when, when we end the New Jerusalem, when God reverses all this stuff, our relationships will once again be perfectly harmonious. There will be no more jealousy. There will be no more backbiting. There will be no more opinions. I mean, I know we don't have any of that in the church, so we'll already know what that's like, but there, it's, all of our relationships are going to be perfectly harmonious. And that's how it was between Adam and Eve. But after this, there had to be someone. There had to be a head. There had to be a ruler. And God said to Eve, your desire will be for your husband. And you see all throughout the Scriptures that man is set as the head of his household. Not as some, and I hate you have even, even have to qualify this, this, day, this today, but I don't think I even do here. Not in some tyrannical way where you're, you know, hold, you know holding your little lady down or anything. I told you if I tried that at, at, with Tammy, I'd come in here with a black eye, and we know it didn't work out so well. But God has set the order of the man, and he did here. And then to Adam, hard work. Hard work. Before the fall, Man, they worked the garden, the, the, the tomatoes and the cucumbers and the things just come up and it, was, it wasn't hard, it didn't sweat, they enjoyed it. Work was not part of the fall, church. It Work was before the fall. God created us, particularly man, to work. And that's part of the problem with our culture today, I see. Since I believe that God created man to work, when men don't work, when they sit home and do nothing, just deadbeat, and I'm not talking about retired, and I'm not talking about disabled, I'm just talking about won't work. We have people that just won't work. You're outside of the design of God. And most of those homes will not go well when there's a deadbeat man sitting at home that won't work. But he said, your work's going to be hard now, Adam. You have to till the ground. You have to work hard for your food. And then death. 
They died that day. They didn't die physically, but they died spiritually. That thing that made that direct connection to God died. You know, I know the church likes to joke about this a lot. I have where they, we get together and we say, you know, it's the woman, that woman, if she hadn't done this and she hadn't done that, we wouldn't be in this mess today. She ate it, she ate it, and she gave it to her husband. All that's true. But I got news for you, man. It wasn't the woman's fault. It was Adam's. It was Adam's fault. Adam was what was known as the federal head of mankind. He was the representative of mankind. Because later on it says that sin entered the world through one what? Man. Because then that sin was taken out of the world by what? One man, Jesus Christ. Sin entered the world when Adam took it and ate. That's caused me to ponder something I've always found interesting. The Bible doesn't tell us this. What, what, what the result would have been, I'd be curious to hear from you. You can put your thinking cap on a minute and think with me for a moment. But when Satan tempted Eve and she ate, the Bible says he gave it to her husband. What would have happened if Adam had done like he was supposed to have done and said, what have you done? God has told us not to eat of that fruit. I'm not eating that. What would have happened? The Bible doesn't tell us what would have happened. The only thing I can surmise is that Eve would have been destroyed and God would have created another woman for the man. But I don't believe that sin would have entered the world. Sin entered the world when Adam disobeyed God and ate of the fruit. So we see the enemy, the tactics, the result, and the redemption. Next is the redemption, the most important part of it all. What we see right here starting in verse 15 Verse 15, God said of this, He said, I will put enmity, that's hatred, between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We see here the beginnings of spiritual warfare between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And when, when He said, between your seed and her seed, Satan's not all knowing. He knew right then one is coming through the seed of a woman that's going to destroy me. And he sat on a path then to do everything he can to destroy that from happening. And you see it, especially with the Jewish people. And I'll deal with this a little bit more when we get into Abraham. He's done everything he can to try to stop that Messiah from coming. He tried it with Pharaoh. Remember when Pharaoh with Moses... The Pharaoh came out and said, kill all the Hebrew children under two years old. Pharaoh didn't know it, but Satan was involved in that. But Moses lived, didn't he? He came in when uh, the enemies of, uh, all through the Old Testament, the enemies of Israel sought to destroy them. Never happened. Haman, in the book of Esther, he said, I'm going to destroy these Jewish people. He was hung on his own gallows. And then Herod said, kill every baby under two years old, trying to stop the birth of this Messiah, this king he had heard. It didn't happen. Satan will never stop the plan of God. He hasn't stopped the plan of God. He won't stop the plan of God. The plan of God was complete at the cross. The plan of God was complete at the resurrection. And we live in that. We live in this area of now. We live in that now. We have that now. But we do live in a, a time of not yet. It's not fully fulfilled yet. It will be. It will one day be fulfilled. Michael, I'm going to ask you and the uh, team guys to come forward.
When Jesus was on the cross, a lot of things happened there. A lot of spiritual things happened there. But I love what Colossians 2.15 says. See, the, see, the Bible said that Satan is going to strike at our heel. He's going to strike at our heel. And that's where our sickness comes from. That's where all the, the disease comes from. That's where the heartache comes from. And we still live in it. He's still nipping at our heel. And he will be until the day that we stand before the Lord and all that stuff goes away. But it also said that one's coming is going to crush his head. And I see that Satan and his principalities and his powers, they were defeated. And Colossians 2.15 puts it this way. Saying, having disarmed the principalities and powers... He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. On that cross, he sealed the deal. Satan was defeated. His, the principalities, the powers, everything we need for victorious life was settled at the cross. When Jesus said it is finished, the plan of salvation was finished. When it's finished, the, the curse that fell at the garden Eden was reversed. And we live in the hope of that. We don't experience it fully yet, but we will. We will. But it was, it was truly sealed by what he told John in Revelation 1.18. You guys can start playing if you like. He looked at John. He said, I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. The one thing, the one fear that Satan holds over us is death. So people say, I'm not afraid of dying. I, I, I can't say that I honestly say that, that I can honestly say that. There is some fear to it. The fear of the unknown. But when Jesus died on that cross, the Bible says he went down. He descended down into Hades. And he set the captives free. All those who were waiting for that promise, he set them free. And he ushered them into the presence of God. And he brought with him the keys of Hades and death. And now because I have my trust in him, and if you have your trust in him, yeah, I'm, this old body's still going to die. I'm still under the curse. I'm reminded of that every time I look in the mirror. I see it. The hair's a little grayer and the wrinkles a little more prevalent. But I know this. My spirit's alive even today. I sense His presence even today. There's peace I get here on this earth today in the midst of the trials that you can't get anywhere else. Some of you have experienced that. We're going to pray for some people this morning because you've experienced some trials. But even in the midst of the trials, even in the midst of the bad doctor's reports, there's this peace that only comes because you know what Colossians 2.15 says. He's defeated. He's defeated. And you have peace and you have hope in that. Lastly, God Himself clothed Adam and Eve. The Bible says in, in, in verse 21 that He made tunics of skin and clothed them. We see the first... Prior to this, there was no death. There was no bloodshed in the Garden of Eden. But God slaughtered an animal... And he made a tunic and covered Adam and Eve. That's just a foreshadowing of the atonement. Something had to die. An animal had to die so that Adam and Eve's sin could be covered. And all through the Old Testament, God accepted that as a covering, a covering, a covering for the sin. Knowing that one day one was going to come and the sin's no longer going to be recovered. It's going to be covered. It's going to be forgiven. And the sin of the bulls and the goats and all those things, it couldn't. couldn't it couldn't forgive it. It could cover it. 
He accepted it. Only one thing could forgive it. And that was the blood of the perfect Lamb of God. And He did that for you. And so I want to ask you this morning, where are you? I'm going to ask everyone if you would in the building to stand for me. Where are you this morning? If you're here this morning and you're hiding your sin, you've never confessed it, there's things in your life you're saying, look, I'm just ready to get rid of this trash out of my life. You can hide it and you can hang on to it. But I'll tell you that God stands ready to forgive it. And we stand ready to pray around you because I, I'm going to tell you, everybody in this building, there's not a perfect person in this building. And that's the wonderful thing about being in a body of Christ. Because we can gather around, sometimes we can build each other up and we can counsel each other and we can help each other as we walk this thing out together. But you can hang on to it. God will let you keep it if you want to keep it. So if you're here this morning, you've never surrendered yourself to Christ, this altar's open. Wait just a moment.